Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, This morning is also, uh, many churches, I wouldn't call it celebrate, but we remember the churches around the world that, uh, and the fellow believers around the world who are suffering persecution this morning. Uh, If you keep up uh, with this, there's a a site, persecution.org, that you can go to and other sites where it kind of lists what's going on in the world as far as those folks who are really paying a heavy price for their faith. And this is the Sunday that uh, they choose to put emphasis on that. Most churches do. We're going to pray for them right now. We're going to pray for the persecuted church. I read this morning early that even in, in Cuba, or Cuba, uh, just you know, to the south of us down here a little ways, that a uh, pastor was arrested and they confiscated all of his material goods and closed his church down. This was this past week. And, uh, and also, you know, there's so much going on in the Middle East uh, with, uh, with, we just want to pray for our brothers and sisters. We, we don't see that here. We see a little different kind of a situation, much different here. But you probably are somewhat insulated from seeing and reading about what goes on around this world. But there are people, there are fellow Christians, followers of Christ who are paying a heavy price today, right now. Uh, for their faith in Christ. And they're our brothers and sisters who are part of the church. And so um, we want to pray for them before we uh, look at our sermon today. So let's do that. Let's just lift them up. Father, we just ask for you to show your great mercy, compassion, and strength to our brothers and sisters around the world today who are suffering for the cause of Christ. We lift those churches up, the members, the pastors, the leaders uh, in China, in Cuba, in different places, uh, in Egypt, uh, around the world, that, that, Lord, some have already lost their lives, some are suffering much loss, or in jail right now, or being threatened, and we just pray, Lord, for your spirit to be strong in them, and that the testimony of Jesus Christ would go forth in the midst of this persecution. Help us not forget our brothers and sisters who suffer under this, Lord, and in this, who are paying a price to see the gospel go forward. And we lift them up to you today, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, an overt threat to the church, like someone wanting to come and take it, or take, rob it, or, or put you in jail for even gathering this morning, is kind of recognizable. It's something that, uh, if it happened here, we would know it. People would come through the doors, they would come and get us, round us up, and arrest us. But there are other threats to the church. There are threats that happen a little bit maybe quieter and unseen at times in churches. We started a series last week in a very small book called Jude in your Bible. If you've got your Bible or you've got your app there and you want to pull it up, and pull up the book of Jude. It's the next to the last one uh, in the book, and it's only 25 verses long. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at our second uh, group of uh, scriptures today as we kind of look at this. We're not going line upon line in Jude, but we're taking certain portions as we make our way completely through Jude. So we're going to work our way all the way through this book. 
uh, before we end it over the next four, four or five weeks. And then we'll head right in, we'll hit Advent on December the 1st, and we'll head right into Christmas. What a wonderful time. And so, um, but we're going to take a look at Jude. Last week we found out that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the brother of James, who is over the church in Jerusalem. We don't know a whole lot about Jude. We do know that, uh, like his brother James and the rest of the family, they didn't really believe in uh, who Jesus said he was until he was resurrected. Uh, They they had no confidence in what he was doing during his life. He thought probably he was crazy. We've got a crazy brother who thinks he's God. And uh, until, until he was raised from the dead. And that will do something to you. I mean, you know, whoa. And, uh, and so after that, James, Jude, uh, the rest of them, you know, gave their life to the preaching of the gospel. And so Jude is uh, very concerned for a group of Christians, a church. We don't know which church this is, which group this is, where it's located exactly. Uh, But Jude is very concerned about a threat to this body, to this church. Uh, This threat is not from without, but it's from within the church. And so that's that's what we're going to be looking at today. So I want to read this passage and pray quickly over it. We're going to be in Jude 3 through verse 7 this morning. So let's read this. Dear friends... Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. In other words, I wanted to write a letter about this. That was my intention. I just wanted to write a letter where we talk about our common faith in Jesus. But something's come up. So I've got to talk about this. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered His people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer punishment of eternal fire. Lord, I ask for you to bless your word this morning. I pray that you'd breathe life on it. I pray you would help me, give me the gift of teaching this morning, Father, so that we can hear what you want to have heard. Your word is life to us, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Would you come and dwell in our midst like we were just singing, Father? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, why even look at this book? Well, one, it's in the Bible, right? So we want to look at it. But secondly, these things still happen. Threats still happen in the church uh, things people slip in. There, there are issues that arise. Matter of fact, uh, when we first started this church 16 years ago, about the within the first what three months, maybe two months, we had just started this church, a small group of us, and um, all of a sudden we start seeing these tracks show up on the seats. And it has to do with a, a group that uh, called 12 Tribes, actually. Well, I would just name it because it's a cult. It's called the 12 Tribes. And we had some folks in the church that I didn't know were involved in this. 
And when you start a church, when you plant a church, you are grabbing every breathing body and a few that aren't breathing, and you are stuffing them in any chair and up here to lead worship. You are drafting everybody you can find to help, right? That's part of church planning. And so we're, I'm just grabbing everybody I can, you know, not really checking out what they believe or anything like that. And, and before I know it, I'm hearing these rumors of some really sketchy stuff and beliefs and floating through the church, and then I started getting phone calls. This is the first two months of our church start. I started getting phone calls from parents whose uh, grown children or teenage children, 18, 19, and, and, and then young married couples are suddenly going off with this group, and they call me because the person doing this is using my name to go out and recruit. And uh, he's moving through Myrtle Beach. He's moving through this area. And, uh, and I'm like, what? No, I didn't, you know, and these people are leaving their families and they're traveling to other states and there's weird stuff going on. And, and so I end up, I mean, I end up having to go to this group one-on-one and just flat have a little talk. And then I, had to, then I had to come back to the church, our brand new, wonderful, lovely, brand spanking new, shiny church great group of people and say, hey, you know that particular group and that teaching and those people? Well, yeah, don't listen to that. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't go near them. It is anti-gospel. It is not the gospel. It's not true. And there's a lot of manipulation. And, And it took us months and months for me to be able to get across to people that this was not the gospel that we know and that the gospel that saves us. So this kind of thing still occurs, and it still happens in our churches, where it, it, someone slips in with not good intentions, and suddenly you're having to deal with a situation, and it's very, uh, it's not comfortable, you know? And so we're going to learn a few things from Jude about how to recognize this type of thing in the local church, and then how we can deal with it. And you're, if you've got a handout in your, I think, a fill-in in your handout there, if you want to track along with me. And your first one is this. What do these types look like? Your first feeling is this. They were deceitful. They were deceitful. In verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have slipped in among you, stealthily made their way in. Suddenly they're showing up at the communion table. They're showing up in the small groups. They're showing up in the leadership meetings. They're taking part. They're taking on some responsibility, but they don't follow Christ. They have a whole different gospel, and they have a whole different reason for being there than you're there for. They're deceitful. They're not honest. Jesus said that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. People who would come along and to the gathering and, and not be there for the best interests of the church or the cause of Christ. But we come in to take and to rob and to kill and steal and destroy from the very work of God. And that still does go on. Uh, you know, great questions for folks all the time and is, is, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who do you say he is? I mean, that's the question of all questions, isn't it? Who do you say Jesus is? Because everything hinges right on that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Sometimes people will respond, well, I believe Jesus was a good guy. He had a great philosophy. Okay. I believe that maybe he was a prophet. You know, he's a prophet like a lot of people claim to be a prophet. Oh, 
Okay? Some people say, well, maybe he was an angel. Maybe he was an angel. Maybe he was a good man. Maybe he was a good leader. All of these kind of things. And, and all of those things are true in some portion. But Jesus Christ was much more than a good man. Much more than a prophet. Much more than a good leader. And some don't get that quite yet. And some have an agenda at times to try to come in and subvert the very truth that has been given to the church to free us. You know, if you knock the legs out under, from under the gospel, there is no salvation for us anymore there. And this still happens. In Second Peter, which kind of mirrors Jude here, Second Peter 2.1 Peter said this, but there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. They sneak in, they have an agenda, plus their lives, their very lives do not testify to a holy God. When you look at their lives and what they preach, you know, and then you look at the scripture, it doesn't line up. So they're deceitful, these folks that slipped into Jude's church, into this situation. And secondly, they were ungodly. In verse 4, they are ungodly people. Now, this is a popular phrase from Jude because he uses it six times. Matter of fact, if there is a, kind of a theme through this for these deceitful people, these false prophets, it's that they were ungodly. Six times he uses this, and I think just a few verses here. And uh, it literally means that without religion, uh, who fails to worship. It's like there is no true religion and they don't worship God. Uh, One commentary said it's not theoretical atheism. We're not talking about people who are atheists. We're we're talking about practical godliness, godlessness in these people. And uh, there's no moral center in the folks that have slipped into this church. You know, a, a person's convictions say much about their faith whatever your convictions are whatever my convictions are they speak loudly to the type of faith and the depth of faith that I have and the kind of faith I have and these folks justified their ungodly behavior within this church trying to say that it was okay that this was God's plan and uh, so they're deceitful they're ungodly they don't have a moral center to their life, and thirdly, they were perverting the grace of God. Verse 4, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Uh, years ago, maybe you've heard this term too, uh, we called this greasy grace. You know, it's like God's grace, it's a license, a permit. Once you experience God's grace, you are free to do anything you want to. Greasy grace, sloppy agape. Agape is the word for God's love, sloppy agape. And these are like catchphrases the church threw around to deal with kind of these these issues that would float through every now and then. These folks were perverting the grace of God, taking it, taking the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ and turning it into a permit, a license to go and do anything you would like to do. Anything and say it was okay. And in, as we work our way through this scripture over the next three, four weeks, you're going to see that this, there's a center 
to uh, center to all of this is immoral. There's an immoral center in the middle of these people. Like the, it's called like the sins of the flesh, like the thing that would so easy for us to fall into, the sin nature, the Bible calls it. That's a doctrine, the sin nature. And uh, especially sexual misconduct, drunkenness and gluttony and no restraints morally. This was the centerpiece of these people. They just threw off all restraints. And uh, when we hear someone justifying ungodly behavior with the beautiful, wonderful, godly act of grace, then we should hear, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Doop, 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 doop. You know, now, look, I believe that grace, the grace of God is scandalous. I, I do believe that. The grace of God is amazing and beautiful, and it is a scandal. And the fact that Jesus would come perfect, holy God, and live a perfect life, go to the cross and die for me, raised on the third day, cleanse me of my sins, put his spirit in me to awaken me and to give me new life, that is a scandalous grace. And I believe in it, and I believe there's enough grace there for all of us at any time. But to take that grace and to say, now I can pull my permit out and go, I can go do anything I want because of the grace of God, that is, not, that is making a mockery and perverting the grace of God. And that's what these people were doing. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 7, 21, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. I'm sure you can find yourself in there somewhere. I, I mean, I, I found myself in, in there a few places. Uh, you know, in folly. All these evils come from within inside and make a man unclean I don't need someone to tell me to make friends with that I don't need someone to come in and say Tim the grace of God is covered just go with it bro I came from the 60s I know about going with it bro I know where go with it bro goes and it didn't go where they said it would go you know, I don't need to make friends with that, what the Bible calls a sinful nature, that sinful side. I don't need to shake hands with it and go, welcome, man, you've been with me all these years. I just want to, oh, you're so cuddly and warm. You know, I, don't, I don't want to make friends with that. I want a new nature. I want to experience life the way that Jesus came and paid the price for. The life that he led. I want to, I want to live life the way God created it originally the way he intended for humanity to be truly human. And we see that in Jesus, and that's the invitation that Jesus makes to us to come and find out what it really means to be human, the way God always intended. I want that. I know what the old one's like. I'm very well aware of that. I need to know the new one. I need to meet the new. Romans 6.1 is kind of the banner scripture around this, and... There's, I just got, I couldn't talk about this and not read this scripture. Um, why do they make Bible pages so thin when I got such big fingers? Let's see here. Romans 6 1. Let's just read a little bit of this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. 
How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let me skip down to 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace leads to this kind of life, not into the life of sin, but away from it in a way to live life completely. But these people that had slipped into this church with Jude were saying, no, they perverted the grace of God into a license for being able to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, be free, be free, be free. Go with it. Like I said, I know, I know about be free. You know, I know about go out and do anything you want to. Go out and, well, uh, there was a philosopher, you know, <laughs> the founder of existentialism, you know, John, Jean-Paul, and I can't say it French-wise, Sartre, something like that. That Sartre was the way I heard it in school. Jean-Paul Sartre, and um, who's the father of existentialism. And Sartre would tell us that if God does not exist, then we're all free, basically, to create our own God, to create our own life, any way we want to live it. And so we go out and we do just what we want. And that's what my generation was raised pretty much on that philosophy. And that is that you are unrestrained and that you just simply, if you just don't want to hurt anybody, but every action affects everybody. Quantum physics, I mean, right? I mean, one little drop in a pond affects the whole pond. Every behavior, every act, everything we do affects someone else somewhere, somehow. It's all connected. But yet we were taught, and you're still being taught today, that just go out and do whatever you want. There are no repercussions to it. That The funnel to life is this wide. You can do anything you want. And, and when I was in the 60s and early 70s, you just like did it all. Did, I mean, if you wanted to take drugs, you took drugs. If you wanted to have sex with anybody, you did it. If you wanted to get high and not go into work the next day, you got high and you didn't go to work. Okay, it was a wide freedom, freedom, freedom. But you know what happened? As the years went on, life just got more narrow, narrower, narrower, narrow until now. Here comes the sexual diseases. Here come the divorces. Here comes the lack of being able to keep a job. Here it comes down to we're depressed. We have no future. And life got very narrow from that huge mouth of freedom. Well, Christianity is totally different because it starts very narrow. It starts with the door of Jesus Christ. Coming to him in a narrow, the one door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But once you go through the door and you learn to live life the way that God always intended it, suddenly life opens up. The marriage is, you know, as both work on it, the marriage gets better. The love of life gets better. You learn to live and be a human the way God always intended for it to be. Life broadens 
when we do things God's way. So freedom comes as we enter the narrow door, not from the big gaping mouth that narrow, the life just gets more narrow all the time. Is it narrow or na- more narrow? Which one is narrower, isn't it? Yeah. Any English uh, professors? Where's, yeah. Okay. My wife, back here, what was that, six years ago now or so? Five, six years ago? Uh, here's when I was reading about these guys in the book of Jude and Jean-Paul Sartre and how his philosophy with the broad entrance to life, I thought about an experience we went through. I came home one Saturday afternoon. I got a phone call, and she was extremely ill. And my wife's never ill, and if she is, she'd never tell you. She's just got this incredible capacity for pain. I mean, just amazing. And uh, so when I got the phone call from a friend who said, man, Karen's, she's in a bad way. You need to get home. I, I got back to the house, and she was just coiled up in a fetal position in such pain that uh, it scared me because I've never seen her like that. And so I picked her up and got her in the car, and we took her to the hospital, and uh, she spent seven days, the next seven days, uh, in the hospital, and it was, it was a very serious situation. She came through it good. We were like, praise the Lord, you know, got, got there on time. Everything's okay. We came out of that, and, uh, you know, she... She didn't have that pain, but she, something else was going on. She was, now she was dizzy. Her bones hurt all the time, and uh, she would pass out. I mean, just, we would go, we have to travel a good bit with the vineyard, and we go to a lot of meetings, and we would, we'd be on, in a hotel in the middle of the night, and I'd hear her get up, and then I'd hear a boop on the floor, you know, and there she goes again, you know, and I had to <laughs> get her up, you know. She's, she's driving down 31 here. She'd have to pull over on the side of the road. She was so faint. And her, she hurt, her bones hurt. And, and so we went back to the doctor and they ran her through all these tests and they did like neurological MRIs and they did like sleep deprivation studies on her. Uh, they did all kind of things and were just about to do a bone marrow test on her to see if she had cancer. We went down to a meeting at uh, one of our church plants down in Beaufort. We were meeting with some of their leaders and at dinner that night, the pastor's wife, Heidi, turns to us and goes, has she ever been tested for celiac? And I thought, isn't that a, like a mattress? What is it, a celiac? I'm thinking, what are you talking about? You know, it says, no, it's celiac sprue. She says, it's a disease, a gluten disease. It's wheat protein, barley protein, oat protein. Uh, some people have this thing inside of them that some trauma in their body can suddenly kick it in. It's hereditary. It's sitting there dormant, but suddenly it can be kicked in. And this particular situation where she was in the hospital kicked this disease in. And uh, she was just about to go through this very painful test. When we came back, we go to the doctor the next day, and I say, hey, doc, what about celiac? And he goes, that's a great question. And I went, that's why they call it practicing medicine. <laughs> Doctors are shaking their head in here. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, you, and all it took was she had to eliminate all wheat, all wheat protein and all out of her diet. Now, she was living life big, eating anything she wanted. But life began to get narrower and narrower on her. Pain began to enter her life, restricting her from being who she could be. 
Once we entered that narrow door of no more bread, oh man. <laughs> Extend your hand over to her. No more bread, no more wheat products, all of that. Once we entered that narrow door, Karen's life just opened right up. Now we travel, she can do anything she wants, she doesn't have the pain, she doesn't have the dizziness, she doesn't pass out. <laughs> Amen. But do you get this? The narrow door leads to freedom. The narrow door leads to life as God intended it. When we enter that door, a whole other life opens up. And these folks in this church did not want people to experience life that way. Fourthly, they were denying Jesus Christ as sovereign and Lord. And boy, it all hinges on that. They were denying Jesus Christ as sovereign. I like the NIV because it puts sovereign in there. The one and only. There's no one like Jesus, the sovereign. They didn't believe he was the unique one and only son of God. They thought maybe he was just another son of God. He was just another prophet. He was just another you know, soothsayer. He was just another leader, just another person. But if we knock the legs off of that table, then we have knocked the legs off of all of our hope for any change any reconciliation with God or any redemption for us to experience life the way God always intended it to. The question is, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who do you say He is? Who do you say He is? Who is He to you? One or the other, nutcase, the Son of God. There is no in-between. One or the other. If he is who he said he was and is, then that changes everything because you've got some big decisions to make. And through that narrow door comes a whole nother way of living. Experiencing life the way God always intended for us to experience it. Jude goes on and he gives three examples. As we said last week, Jude loves triplets. It's one of the tools he uses for people to be able to remember the scripture. So there's, you know, like 20 different triplets in 25 verses here. He, put, he groups things in threes all through this book. And so he lists three examples from uh, the Old Testament stories here. First, he mentions the children of Israel. This is to let the church know how serious this is. So he mentions the children of Israel. He says, remember how God led them out of Egypt? Remember how God was with them. Moses led them all through the, the wilderness, through the desert, and out. But because they refused to live life the way God intended for them to, they never made it into the promised land. So he says, this is a serious issue. What's going on here? See what happened with the children of Israel? Then he mentions fallen angels. He says, look. Basically, the demons that are in the spiritual realm here in the world now, they used, to be, they used to be angels and they used to serve at God's side and they were there and they worshiped God and they served Him. And now, because of their rebellion, because of them not believing and not su supporting who God says He was, they've been cast out and they're going to be judged and chained forever. And then he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, two towns in the Old Testament that lived life in a big any way they wanted to. Freedom. Freedom. And then Jude says that brought them down until God's judgment came and destroyed them. 
and burnt them up. So he gives these three examples to try to just nail down how important this whole issue is. Now, how can we respond to this? And I want to say this to those of you who are followers of Jesus. Uh, when you come in contact with folks like this, I think that we've been given some great encouragement here. And, and we mentioned these last week. Your first one is this. When you share with someone, when you listen to someone, and you're talking to them about Jesus, and they don't have the same take as you do, remember this, you share from a position of authority. You're sharing from a position of authority. Uh, We learned last week that uh, you have been called by him. You know, when you've been called, you receive a certain amount of, uh, what can I say, uh, authority. That's the best thing I can say. And, And God drapes his authority over you when God calls you and drafts you. When you come to Christ, Christ puts himself in you through the Holy Spirit. And there's a certain amount of authority you carry. Your testimony... Those of you who have come to Christ and you know what Jesus has done in you, nobody can take that away from you. Somebody can argue with me forever. I got, some of you have heard this, but I got into a tweeting little discussion with three atheists out of London one time, back here about a year ago. And so I'm sitting at the house and we're just, you know, going back and forth. And two of the guys are really nasty. I mean, they're just very nasty atheists. I'm trying to be very kind you know, just, just trying to share my experience, sharing some things. And so two of them just basically cuss me out and drop out after a while. But there's one guy that stays, he stays in there, he hangs in there, and we continue to talk for about two days. And uh, I finally asked him, I said, well, what happened to me on May 1st, 1971 at that surfing contest? What happened to me? What happened to me in that room that changed the whole course of my life and now puts me right here tweeting with you? 40 years later, tweeting with you about this Jesus that that changed my life and is still changing my life. What happened? How do you explain that? Explain that to me. Explain what happened to me. And, you know, he said, well, you were set up, uh, probably your parents. I'm like, man, I went to church three times probably my whole life. Well, you were probably going, you know, somebody was talking to you. I said, nope, the first time I heard about Jesus, I went for it. First time. I didn't, need, I didn't have to get preached to over and over again. The minute I heard who he was and what he has done, that was it. That was it for me. And we had a beautiful conversation because he, he couldn't say anything after that. He started asking me questions about my life. How did it end up where it is? You speak from a position of authority with people who challenge you. You know what you've experienced. You know if Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. You know the closeness of his spirit to your heart in the tough times. You know it. No one can take that away from you. And the more you get into this and the more you study, the stronger your faith will grow and the stronger the legs of that table that hold it all up get. So don't fear having conversations with people who want to challenge and We learned last week that we have a relationship. We respond and we share from a point of relationship. This isn't just head knowledge. This is a relationship with God. To those who have been called who are loved in God. God loves you. You have a relationship with him and you respond to others out of that relationship. And that's totally different. It's totally different than just having some head knowledge or philosophy. 
If someone comes up to me and goes, let me tell you about your wife. She is not this, not that, not this, not that, but she is this, 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 and this. Dude, I've been in love with that woman for 44 years. We've been married for 42 years. I know her. You can sit there and tell me what she may be, but I know who she is. That's a relationship. The same relationship. You can build a relationship with God where you can have confidence in that relating. And when people challenge us, it's okay, relax. I don't know why we Christians freak out so much when people challenge us. I think it's because we, sometimes we wonder if we really believe what we believe. Relationship can take it. A relationship can take being bumped and challenged. You share from a place of safety. That's the last one here. In verse 1, Jude 1, he says, And kept for Jesus Christ. There's no reason to feel threatened. Because Jesus Christ will keep you. And is keeping you. I mean, I can relax, you know, with Christ. Hebrews 12, 2. Uh, Jesus says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The NIV says pioneer. I like author and finisher. Pioneer, that is, he started it and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. One version says that for the joy set before him is the joy of having you as his brother and sister. You're safe in him. You're kept by him. Relationship is worth it all and will keep you solidly grounded close to him. Jude ends this book with these words, To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.